Isha Chatterjee is a PhD candidate in sociology from Stanford's sociology department. She holds an MA in sociology from Stanford University and a BA in sociology from Presidency College in Kolkata. Her research interests include economic sociology, immigration, race and ethnicity, and social inequality and stratification. Her dissertation research looks at how college majors influence gender segregation and income inequality in occupations, and that is what we speak about in this episode. and welcome to uh, the show. It's a pleasure to have you today and I'm very excited to know about yourself and about the research that you've been doing. So, so you know, to like get us started, I'd just like to ask you about yourself, about your academic background and about your interest in like inequality as an area of, of research. Okay, so uh, I grew up in India and I studied, you know, I grew up in Kolkata and I studied in Presidency College Kolkata with an honors in sociology. And following that, I went to Delhi School of Economics to do a master's. And following that, I went to do an MPhil in sociology at uh, JNU. And after that, I uh, moved to the US. So after moving to the US, uh, I started working with Professor David Grusky, uh, a few of his projects at the Center on Poverty and Inequality here at Stanford. I actually started a program somewhere else in the US, but you know, rural sociology, I actually at the time when I applied, I didn't know that it was a rural sociology program. And that is not something that I was very keen on taking the enterprise forward. So with that in mind, you know, in in this whole uh, period, I actually, after I moved the US uh, within a year and a half I got married so after I got married I naturally moved with my husband and started thinking what I should be doing following that you know I moved to Stanford uh, where my husband also moved with a job and then you know I got in touch with Professor David Grusky who is my advisor right now so I started working with him as a visiting student researcher and when I started working with him on inequality projects and so on, I found a real interest in social inequality in the US. And uh, Professor Grasky works on occupations and various forms of inequality surrounding occupations and why occupations and class are meaningful and so on. So that is what is the main reason that that I started getting more and more, more and more interested in social inequality. And with that, then I decided, oh, if this is what interests me, why not apply to the graduate program here? And then, you know, I applied to the graduate program here and some other places which specialize in inequality and was fortunate enough to get in. And so there I am, you know, in the Stanford sociology program and the Stanford sociology program gave me an immense exposure, as I would say, to the, you know, to studying inequality in the various forms. I got trained by, you know, professors like David Grusky, Mark Ranovader, you know, understanding how the institutions, various institutions function and bring about uh, social inequality and how social inequality is perpetuated. So, 
you know, all of this, all of this has been a heavenly experience for me, to say the least. And that is what has made me a social inequality researcher. And that is what, you know, keeps, uh, you know, keeps my inter interest, you know, persistent in, in, in studying social inequality. And following that, you know, when I was in my second year of uh, study here at Stanford, I got interested in studying race because racial inequality uh, as, you know, as I understood, because all this while, you know, I was, you know, just getting exposed to the various research that scholars have done here and elsewhere. And, you know, we have our qualifying exams, which give us an, another, you know, a, a, a sea of knowledge about the various forms of inequality because you, you you're made to choose a substantive area where you want to you know write your exam so that gave me exposure and I got really interested in understanding the various forms of racial inequality so in my second year of study uh, I started working on a paper which is going to come out in social problems in a few months from now it got accepted and it's in the publication queue and I'm hoping to see it in print in a few months from now. So it's it's actually a paper where I uh, investigate using general social survey data, the various forms, you know, it's, it's actually general social survey is a rich data set. It's a very rich data set that provides you a lot of attitude data. And this attitude data gave me exposure uh, and made me think about the forms of racism that exists in the US. So the for by forms of racism, I mean, you know, people are no longer openly racist. So what are the, you know, what are the present evolving forms of racism right now. So using uh, statistical methods for that, and in this case, you know, the latent class analysis, I started grouping people into, you know, what class they would fit. And my finding is there are four types of racism. And, you know, I, I call this four types of racism because one group is anti-racist and people who are not racists at all. So and then I find three different forms of racism that are very, very, very coherent with the existing colorblind and laissez-faire racism theories. So with that in mind, I started working. And then following that, you know, in, in, in when I was in the third and fourth year of my study, I started investigating, you know, this is, this is ra racist or race, uh, racial inequality stuff. So after working a little bit on racial inequality, I decided, oh, I want to explore what else, you know, I might, what else is interesting. So then I started working in a paper that is, that is under review uh, currently in another journal. So, uh, and that paper investigates what causes within an occupation income inequality. So there is well-established scholarship which says that income inequality is mainly, you know, between occupations. So you get into a job that pays more than the job that I get into and I get paid less. That's the source of inequality. So people getting hired in different jobs is what causes them to earn differential rewards. 
things like that. But I was interested in actually something else that, you know, within an occupation, why are there certain people who get more pay than some others? So with that in mind, you know, I went went around and I started exploring what could be contributing to this. So there are scholars like Arne Kalleberg and Ted Moe and, you know, I think Kim and Sakamoto who have papers that have stated that this uh, inequality, which is called the residual inequality does exist. So with that in mind, you know, that's another paper I'm doing to see how much of that within occupation income inequality exists and what are the kinds of occupations that have higher within occupation income inequality and what are the characteristics. So that's the kind of paper that, you know, that's currently under review. And, you know, lastly, uh, the third, enterprise that I've undertaken during my graduate study is the dissertation, which is, of course, an, you know, it's ap- the absolute necessity to get the diploma. So the dissertation is, uh, it's on, it's pretty much another form of inequality, which is gender inequality. And gender in, by gender inequality, what I'm trying to explore is how college majors contribute uh, to you know, occupational sex segregation and gender pay gap in occupations. So the title of the dissertation is college majors and inequality in the labor market. So how does, you know, this is, this is mainly concentrating on gender. So using the American community survey and for, I've used three kinds of data sets all along my all along my graduate program, one of which is the GSS, as I mentioned. The second is the current population survey, which is a very well-established nationally representative data set. And the third, uh, which I'm using in the context of the dissertation is the American Community Survey. And this survey, uh, through this survey, I'm trying to investigate uh, how far college majors contribute to having the gender pay gap and how far college majors contribute to the occupational sex segregation. And, you know, why do men and women enter into different jobs? And I'm trying to see if men and women, they're put in the same majors, do they end up entering into different, you know, women entering jobs where women are, a majority and men entering jobs where men are a majority and why is that so so the dissertation project is uh, is kind of like that and the dissertation project you know as i presented my uh, parts of the work uh, i got a lot of feedback from people asking causal questions as to why that is a limitation of the american community survey data so since the american community survey data is set up like that, we cannot really answer any causal questions. So what I did was I decided to design a survey experiment to answer that. And I don't really have results to speak to at at this moment uh, about the survey experiment because I'm in the process of collecting data. So I'm making last minute changes and doing that. So right now I don't have data to speak to, you know, bigger questions, but that's that's pretty much about me. Uh, yeah, you know, I think uh, something I'm, I'm very happy to hear about, you know, is that like when you mentioned David Gusky's name, you know, I think it, it sort of rang a bell because I have also done some of his papers in college. So I was, uh-huh. you know, quite uh, for that, you know, like rang a bell, like for me. 
Um, I think something else I'd like to know a little bit more about is the dissertation in detail. I'd like to know a little bit about your motivations for choosing this topic, right? As well as the whole uh-huh. process of, you know, of like finalizing a topic and, you know, and like your research methods and, and all uh-huh. of that, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. So, you know, the, you know, about if I have to speak to the dissertation project, the thing is the dissertation project, uh, it's, it's actually the main motivation behind that is, you know, a lot of studies uh, you have probably read and a lot of, you know, well-established research exists that the main uh, male you know, male-female inequality or gender inequality uh, is con- the ma- major contribution. And there, there is a bunch of stuff that is discussed about discrimination. And there are so many studies, uh, some of which are experimental and some of which are, uh, you know, based off data sets. And so those, you know, those have, you know, those have dominated the field of, you know, studying gender inequality. And, you know, there, there have been work uh, by uh, various economists who have worked on gender inequality and they've investigated how, you know, men and women are hired differently, paid differently. And there is also a perception of competence, you know, differential perception of competence among men and women. So that is what motivated pretty much my research topic and the research topic is actually you know i started discussing my research topic with professor kim whedon at cornell university so she was actually visiting us here at stanford uh, one summer so i was at that time you know swimming around in the ocean where i was unable to you know fix my interests into something and when you know I I was thinking about various things and then oh you know two days later I feel I don't like it so at that time you know David suggested that uh, it's a it it would be a good idea to talk to Kim since she's here you know she's an active resource so I, I started talking to her and I started talking to her about a bunch of papers that she had written in 2013 and you know those those were those were things that we were discussing and then I asked Kim I I think her her paper had you know those papers that she was uh, that we were talking about were talking about how you know various majors and uh, various uh, disciplines have contributed uh, differentially to rewards and how economists have, you know, they, they have a huge literature on that. So that made me kind of, that moved me towards uh, studying or getting interested to study how education matters. And then Kim suggested that education is something that people have studied length and breadth, and I'm not sure how how much you'll be able to find in there. And then, you know, I decided, oh, why not study how college majors are affecting inequality in general? And then I asked her, has this question been asked and answered? She said, no, I don't think so. And then, you know, that's that's when I got interested. And then, you know, my committee has uh, three professors, Professor Graski, who's my advisor, and then um, Professor Mark Granovetter, who is a very, very well-known e- 
uh, economic sociologist, and he has, you know, he 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 studied the labor, labor market a lot. And then there is uh, Professor David Pedula, who is who was here at Stanford, but uh, recently moved to Harvard. So he's also in my committee, and he's a very well known, you know, inequality scholar and and ex experimental sociologist and. You know, so his work has also influenced my work to a great extent. So, you know, that's how the dissertation came into place. So, and the dissertation is a three paper dissertation. So it's not really a book dissertation as you may imagine. The first paper investigates uh, how occupational segregation or rather why men and women enter into different occupations are motivated by college majors. So do college majors contribute to occupational sex segregation, like men and women entering into different occupational paths? Is that uh, you know, contributed by this, you know, college majors? The second thing is, you know, what I find is around 40% is explained by college majors. And now, you know, I'm investigating what else, you know, contributes to this sex segregation. So that's, that's the piece that's, that, that's, that I'm working on right now. And the second paper uh, is, you know, what contribute, you know, how far college majors explain the gender pay gap, like, you know, how, 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 how far is, and I have some findings along that. And I, you know, I don't know if it's too premature to discuss those right now, because that may change a little bit, bit because of, as I shape and frame the, uh, you know, dissertation more, that might really change, you know, that, that might keep changing uh, at certain, you know, times, because the thing is, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, still investigating what what else might contribute along with college majors, because I do find a significant amount of college majors influencing uh, gender pay gap. So, and the third thing is, as I told you, you know, the experiment, the, the experiment that I'm talking about, that experiment is in, you know, that's going to answer the causal question. Yeah, yes. You know, I just like to know, um, a little bit more as to like how exactly certain majors uh you know result in like poorer jobs as opposed to others so i think in general i just like to know a little bit about the broad correlation between majors and the u.s job market exactly like based like the current you know like research and, and like okay. the findings you found yeah okay so let me you know let me actually give you a little bit here so you know the analysis that i've done in this uh first paper uh, where you know i took told you that I'm talking about the field of study, which is college majors and uh, sex segregation in occupations. So there, you know, I told you that the college majors explain 40% of the sex segregation. So, uh, you know, suppose we take a man and a woman from the sample and the expected percentage of females in the women's occupation is greater than that of the man by around you know, 19%. However, you know, if we take a man and a woman from the same, uh, you know, college major, this difference reduces to 11.5%, which is 40% reduction from the original value. So if you use the, you know, college majors instead of, you know, 
when we use the college majors, what we are doing is we're using the detailed college majors. For example, you know, there are two, two different, you know, ways this college major is measured. So one is, you know, suppose there are college majors, say neurologist, neuroscientist, you know, these, these are two different ways the college major is measured. So I'm using the ones that have really detailed so that we do not miss out on any data. And we see that if you, since we're using this detailed field of uh, study thing uh, as a measure, you know, this reduction is about 30, 35%. And then, you know, the main conclusion in this uh, occupational se sex segregation is, although 40% is explained, there's a huge part which is not explained. And we're trying to explain that. And that's actually, you know, I don't know whether I'll put it in here or, you know, whether that should be a separate paper at some point is, you know, what explains the remaining 60%. And another uh, very interesting finding which fo follows, follows is even men who major in like female dominated disciplines, like for example, a man who majors in English or history, you know, history and English, these are seen as female dominated uh, disciplines or women who ma major in heavily male dominated disciplines, they've already made up their minds to follow natural career pa paths, you know, associated with those disciplines. So for example, if history and English are not such good examples for you know, because they don't con convert to, to specific occupations. So if we say that a man who's training as a nurse, he has already made, his, made up his mind to become a nurse. So these kind of, uh, you know, they follow career paths directly along those occupations. And these are called pipeline majors. So that's that. So. That's, uh, that's like, and, you know, in, in those cases, this is like that. And on the other hand, people who choose majors that are not very strongly male dominated, not very strongly female dominated, they still have a desire to follow gender norms when they're choosing occupations. For example, a man training in some co cognitive science may become a medical researcher while a woman uh, training in cogn cognitive science may become a child psychologist. So something like that. So, you know, if men and women are in those kind of pipeline majors, whether men in female dominated majors, then they'll directly follow career paths because they're, they've already made up their mind. So that, you know, that is one of the things and the key influences that account for the unexplained part of the segregation is adherence to gender norms. I think, you know, gender norms uh, are more inclined to shaping occupational choices and women are more inclined to jobs that are female type and resistant to entering male, male type occupations. And I think, you know, in this gender norm part, uh, there, you know, a lot of insistence on a lot of uh, women feel that, you know, I'm, much less competent you know there is established research on that there has been experiments done which show that you know women feel that way so it's it's very likely that women are resistant towards entering into male dominated occupations so probably you know this this is uh, you know this is uh, due to gender norms definitely right and you know i think and I'm very sure that, you know, as, um, as a lot of like these students move from taking mm -hmm. up a college major to actually entering the workforce and the marketplace, I'm pretty sure 
the you know even though you have certain occupations that are more you know, like gender oriented as compared to like other occupations i still think that the dynamic from you know being in college to actually taking up a job is very different right so i think i just like know a little exactly. bit as you know like what like this difference uh, looks like on the ground so the thing is you know when uh, i think one of the things is the society the macro social processes is what shapes what jobs people will take up so in case of you know men and women deciding to take up jobs a part of it is college majors women are more oriented towards taking up college majors that are dominated by women and women feel that we will excel in those and there has been you know that's not my research but that someone you know some other scholars have done extensive research on that and also women's women's one focus is you know motherhood uh, and nurturing roles which motivates uh, how they are going to behave in the labor market and one of our uh, professors here shelly corel you know has a paper uh, titled motherhood penalty where she sees how you know women women are perceived as becoming potential mo- mothers and they you know end up they end up being perceived that way when they're when, when hiring decisions are made you know there are two sides you know there is a demand side mechanism and there is the supply side mechanism both of which you know try to determine whether what is the kind of occupation men and women will enter into and women for sure you know they're more uh, comfortable and consistent and comfort you know feel confident enough to enter the labor force where women are a majority rather than women women are you know research has proved from time to time that women are really resistant in entering into the labor force where men are a majority definitely right and you know i think uh something that's also really interesting is that you know i think a lot of companies have certain policies around like diversity and you know and like inclusion right and i think along those lines i think if you have certain companies or certain jobs where you have a skewed you know like ratio right in terms of of like gender i'm pretty sure that it also impacts the kind of work you know that's like being done as well as like the workplace culture right so i think in that sense it's just like you know a little bit as you know like what the implications are if you have a certain company or a certain job that is skewed more towards either male or female uh, so you know if, if i mean although it's 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 definitely not a part of my dissertation you know trying to find any policy implications or rather you know i'm i'm actually not even in a position to make a recommendation but uh, what you say you know if i if i if i have to think uh, along those lines uh, what i you know i'm actually made to think that possibly you know uh, you know diversity and other things these might you know be policies uh, implemented uh, implemented to encourage women but you know more you'll see more of women entering male centric occupations more if they somehow gain the confidence they have to gain more and more confidence in order to be able to do so i mean they cannot you know even if there are 10 policies in place it's 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 really hard to you know it's really hard for them to definitely right i think that's you know one of uh, uh, the tough things right and i think it it is a good thing that a lot of policies and like certain things have you know like been enforced as well And yeah I think mm-hmm. you know like finally I just like to ask you if you know like over the course of your research there's 
anything that surprised you or any notable findings that you found either you know in terms of like overlapping you know in in like literature or you know or like over like the course of um, of like you know like your research in in general you know what i find uh, in research you know one of the things is that honestly one thing that that sometimes happens and uh, you know i've heard from my advisor that a lot of times these kind of things happen is uh, you know you decide on that you you're you're working along some, you know along a particular line and you're thinking along a particular line for example you know i'll i'll talk about this experiment that i'm doing so this experiment is like the seventh or the eighth iteration of what i'm doing so i you know found something really interesting that i really like doing just i i really like doing that so and then i presented the design of the experiment and everybody was very pleased that it's it's excellent and it's wonderful and so on and so forth and after that you know i present after when i presented everybody liked it and after all of that what happened was at night i received an email from a fellow student uh, in the department who said that hello asha uh, you know there is something i found this paper which is written by an a ucla professor natasha quadlin which might be of interest to you and i read the paper and find that that uh, paper has the exact same experiment that i designed so i send it to david that david do you think this is exactly what i am doing or is it my stress with just speaking and which is making me think that i'm you know this these are the same so he reads that paper and says esha i think you're right you know you and she are doing the same thing so we have to revise and you know again we revise so that kind of thing is one thing you know you have to be really 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 uh, like perceive you have to persevere i mean you have to keep on and on doing until you get your results and sometimes the results you know may not be interesting so sometimes you might look for something but not find something that that's interesting and then keep looking keep looking keep looking because one of the things you know mark renovator who is also another uh, of my dissertation advisors who keeps telling me don't you know set your mind to look for something you know set out to look at the data with an open mind so and you know that's one of the surprising things you know that that experiment you know i thought oh everyone said it's a good experiment and i've never done an experiment experiment before this so i thought oh okay that's a good job done but 9 am on a fr- friday night that fellow student of mine she sent me this email with this paper and i read it and i think oh this is what i think this, this person is doing the exact same thing of what i'm doing and so these things you know you have to these are surprises that keep coming and they will keep coming so that's 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 how it happens and uh, you know for my dissertation i was pretty surprised that college majors do contribute you know 40% is a contribution i mean it's certainly a lot so now you know i want that motivated me to learn more that why is that what is the other things that might contribute so that's the end to which i'm working right now and for the gender pay gap also you know there is existing let- literature that women are you know al- allocated or assigned to jobs that have more flexibility more uh, 
you know more more you know more you know they can take more time off and their time commitment is less so all of this you know contributes to women getting paid less and automatically there's also hiring discrimination there's a whole literature on that so now what i'm seeing is yes college majors there also have a consistent influence so that is also another surprise <laughs> certainly right i think you know it's a uh... it's unfortunate but i think you know it's it's a coincidence so it's also interesting you know like when you look at a lot of the yeah. work that's been doing uh you know and i think something uh, you know that's also interesting you know i think in in like the social sciences that you have so many different areas of of like um, of like different you know like ways of um, of like research as well right you know you've got ethnography uh-huh. literature review all of that so yes. i think i'd like to know if you have ever felt that you know like looking at survey data which is the method that you have employed was like overall an advantage or like a disadvantage and i just like to know about you know, like the methods of research itself and like how you know it like improves uh-huh. the course of your research oh uh, so you know one of the things uh, the you know i th- these uh, nationally representative samples so for all the projects that i've chosen you know i've always wanted to be able to make conclusions or findings about the us in general and for that you know my survey data would have been the only path that i could go and when it came up to people asking me causal questions which was in the case of my dissertation i decided to employ survey experiment which you know professor david padula who i mentioned he, he gave me a strong encouragement saying that asha you should just do this you know when we had the Uh, you know prospectus meeting which is when we finalize the dissertation along with our committee members so i'm actually pretty much in a very uh, you know in a stage where i'm about to collect all my findings together so uh, when we w- when we were in the very early stages he gave me a strong encouragement towards that because each uh, method has its own merit so when you're trying to you know understand and make conclusions about various mechanisms or you know you have to make a long term there are some studies you know where you have to follow people and you have to get an in-depth knowledge so in those cases you know an ethnography or an, an in-depth interviewing or an immersive interviewing all these things they will be of immense use and in those cases you know you cannot really use survey data so for example you know i participated in a project which was headed by professor david grasky here at stanford so it's called the american voices project and it aims to understand people's lives in great details so that has you know questions and that that entails long interviews with people to understand what their life situation is like so so each study you know each study has a particular method which will merit the study and you honestly as a researcher has have to choose that because none of my studies were you know getting such detailed information so my the surveys that i've used those surveys have definitely you know provided me with the information that i wanted to get honestly for sure for sure i think yeah. it, uh, it definitely makes sense you know makes sense to say that each method has its own pros and cons you know and yeah sure and, and you know for example if I, if I, if i were to you know understand gender segregation and make uh, generalizations about the us population i would definitely have to use the survey data 
But if I was, you know, attempting to, you know, answer, you know, what mechanisms, you know, women's upbringing and uh, socialization and other, uh, you know, macro social factors contribute to the gender segregation that happens much later. Uh, in, in such a case, you know, an ethnographic study or a survey method um, of my own, like I, I do a survey by myself or, you know, I uh, do some in-depth interviewing of women, that, that might have been helpful. For sure, right? Uh, you know, definitely. Yeah. And I think something else that also influences research is, you know, like one's own place and position, right? Because I think, you know, in, yeah. in like the social That's sciences, right. it's, it's very different from the natural sciences, you know, because we are studying human beings, we come with our own, you know, like biases and all of that. So I think I'd just yeah. like to know if, if you have ever felt that, you know, your experiences or like background or like identity in that sense has ever, you know, influenced either, you know, like your access to resources or, you know, or like the course of narration and like what implications it has like for your research as well. You know what, uh, for that, uh, my thing is uh, the way or the training that I've re received at Stanford has given me a lot of, uh, you know, influence of really, really great scholars and researchers and exposure to various methods and so on. So I don't think whatever... Uh, whatever exposure I have received along various lines, a diverse uh, set of exposures, you know, I've interacted with demographers like uh, Matt Snape and others here who, you know, who have a particular method that they employ and, you know, how to study certain things. And then I've been exposed to interview researchers, you know, researchers who employ interviews like Tomas Jimenez and uh, David Grasky, who does a, a lot of quantitative work and Mark, who has a substantive contribution to the field. So all these various, the training that I've received from all these various people have contributed me into emerging as a researcher uh, where, you know, I'm not really thinking about how my how my background will uh, influence the question. I, you know, I, I think honestly, I should try, to, I still feel when I'm interpreting results or, uh, you know, designing experiments to be able to think independently, you know, keeping, uh, keeping the research question in mind, because I should be able to do justice to the question that I'm attempting to answer. So that's, that's the thing. Honestly, you know, I, I, I have not, if you, you know, if you're saying that if I have faced bias in trying to access resources, no, I don't think so. You know, I've, I've always gotten the resources, I've gotten, uh, you know, my professor's uh, help and guidance and anything the moment I needed it. So. That's For sure. I'm, I'm really glad to hear that, you know, and I think, of course, uh -huh. you know, like by um, like the virtue of being surrounded by you know so many great scholars I think that definitely influences you yeah, know like your sure. own, like opinions and attitudes so, yeah so I think you know it's it's great uh yeah so I so I think you know that's that's about it from my end uh so uh -huh. so thank great. you so much Isha it was a pleasure talking to you today. it was my pleasure and thanks for the invitation fantastic all right then so thank, thank you, you. thank you very much bye, bye. Thank you for listening to this episode. 
if you enjoyed this episode then please do subscribe or follow you can also follow us on twitter or instagram at the handle dtrrh podcast for further updates